This episode's guest is Michelle Boland from michellebolandtraining.com. Michelle grew up in central Massachusetts where her interest for athletics and playing sports began. She played soccer, basketball and ran track at the collegiate level while studying nutrition. After reflecting on her life passion for athletics and sports performance training, Michelle decided to pursue a higher education degree in strength and conditioning with a master's and exercise physiology with a PhD at Springfield College in Massachusetts. Michelle has had several years of professional experience as a strength and conditioning coach at a Division I institution, working with a nationally ranked top five women's ice hockey team, a nationally ranked top 10 men's ice hockey team, and other teams including field hockey, women's soccer, and men's basketball. Michelle then created her own company, Michelle Boland Training, in order to support others in achieving the performance and fitness goals to the best of her abilities. On this episode, Michelle and I discuss Michelle's background. I asked Michelle about her strategies course. I asked Michelle about her biggest influences. I asked Michelle about her training system. I asked Michelle how has she evolved as a coach and as a person. I asked Michelle about her decision-making process throughout her coaching career and life. I asked Michelle if she could share with us any resources that could help people in their decision-making processes. Michelle and I discussed core values and fulfillment. I asked Michelle, how does she learn? And finally, I asked Michelle if she could invite five people to dinner, dead or alive, who she invite and why. As always, guys, this was another incredible episode. I really enjoyed this conversation with Michelle and I hope you guys really enjoy it too. Okay, Coach Boland, thank you so much for making time. I really appreciate it. I know you're just coming back uh, off a week for being away on some, is it right to call them holidays? Were you away on some holidays there last week? Yeah, we can call them that. It was just at uh, Yosemite National Park and uh, yeah, trying to catch up on things after some enjoyable hiking. Nice, great stuff. So, Michelle, we were lucky enough to uh, make acquaintances at uh, the second ever um, intensive bill hartman's intensive which was a like uh, we, we could we could use we could do a whole podcast on how not only great was that experience but obviously bill himself but it was amazing uh, and it really was great to to meet you and obviously meet dan who at the time you were working with but um just for the listeners give us your whole background yeah of course um so my name is michelle boland i pretty much got my start in the industry i feel like a lot of people of you know i was a college athlete and I really loved the training aspect of competing and uh, lifting, training, all that coming back from, you know, even a small injury. And uh, I decided to go to Springfield College, which we all know is kind of like a huge hub for strength and conditioning. Um, and it's funny, though, because after my experience there, I kind of had a moment where I was like, yeah, I actually don't think this is for me. Um, I don't know what it was. I think it was more of um, the collegian, very focused on like college football kind of a environment. And then I was lucky enough to have one of your prior guests on Pat Davison as a professor. I mean, how lucky is that? And he just exposed me to the Posture Restoration Institute um, and many, many more individuals. And we were talking prior to the show about how good he is at interpreting that information and making it applicable 
um, especially being able to put it within context of our field. And I think that really is what sparked my interest to continue and then have the idea of like, oh, you can actually, you don't have to be a college football strength conditioning coach. You can actually be whatever it is that you want to be. And that's kind of how my mentality has really paved the way to where I am now. Um, I went into the PhD program, exercise physiology, finished that. And then I went to Northeastern University, which is in Boston, Massachusetts, and was a strength conditioning coach for uh, many years. And I worked, again, with prior guest, Dan Sanzo. And then, yeah, I took a lot of advantage of their continuing education budget that they gave us. And that's where I met you at the intensive. I went to any and all courses I could get my hands on. Um, and then I got a job opportunity to be a director of education at a private facility. And, you know, in terms of like a, a lifestyle change, I was, I was ready to dive into something different. And then from there, I created my own business, which I have now Michelle Bowen training and I'm not a very original name there, but I really work on creating sustainable training strategies for individuals. And that is, you know, I want to make gains in fitness qualities and I want to do it in a manner that you can do it for years to come and create consistent fitness habits um, over time. And then I also create a lot of products for other trainers, such as my um, video database, which is basically if you do online coaching, you know, one of the biggest barriers is if I write goblet squat, especially to someone who's never seen that before, uh, they're going to look at your screen and be like, yo, what is this? So I created a huge kind of library that gives you almost a thousand videos to be able to send to your clients so you can increase communication with them. Uh, if, you know, you're in Boston, they're in California, they'll know exactly what you're talking about. And then also educational courses for trainers, just trying to, I don't know, push the industry one step further and also provide resources that can kind of up the game for any trainer. Yeah, I see uh, your strategy course. Could you, just before we get into some of the topics we're going to touch on today, what, what, what is a strategy course? Oof, strategy course is basically me reflecting on my like all my experiences and knowledge. So like academic setting, uh, collegiate setting and private setting and be like, what are the holes in these areas? Like what doesn't the academic system teach you? What doesn't the private industry teach you? Finding the gaps in those and then trying to fill them with a, a course that people can take. And, and mostly it's really focused on something that I find is a huge barrier with trainers, especially this day and age with this flood of information of really free information. You can go learn whatever that you want. You don't need an academic degree or certification, but it's the inability to have the skills to organize that information and turn that information into how you can apply it with the people that you work with. And I think that's a very unique skill that really separates like leaders in this field. So that's what my course is really focused on. Okay, you have all this information. Let me try to show you how to boil that down and to create a process and procedures within your coaching 
that will keep you organized, be really efficient, but also it makes things very clear to your clients about what you do. Just organically, some questions have come to my mind there with that. So would would I be correct in saying that a, a big sort of foundation of that course and is to teach people to have a better filter system? Yes. Um, I think later on in the course, we talk about exactly what you just said, having a filter. So first, having a filter implies you actually have something that you can move information through. And it's kind of, I use this phrase of, um, in order to be able to sharpen the sword, that implies that you have to have a sword to begin with, right? And a sword is just basically foundation. of how, how do you think about things? Not what you know. How do you think about things? How do you organize? How do you have a process to make decisions? Um, what questions do you ask yourself when you have a beginner client or you're trying to design a training session or a training program? You have to have those things in line and those really coincide with your belief system towards training. And then once you have those things, it's so much easier to take new information in and have a place to put it so then you can start implementing it right away. Because I'm sure, as you know, we've all done this before is we go to a course and it's like we change everything that we do and we kind of like brain dump on what we just learned. And then we're like, oh, that's, you know, I've made a mistake. That's not, you know, really that useful to just go all in on one implement. And then you kind of transition out of it. It's like you swing this pendulum, but, you know, to be, someone who's once I won't use the word successful, but very highly efficient is to have that organizational strategy. So you don't get swayed left or right when you do learn something new. Sounds to me like it's a, a very applicable real world critical thinking course. I try. <laughs> Hopefully. Yeah. yeah but no. I, I really wish I, I mean, I, I won't think I don't have anything nice to say about the academic system, but I think this is a huge point in which they fail at. You know, you go into academics so they can teach you how to think, but in actuality, that's really not what happens in the academic setting. Um, and they need to start teaching more things about how to create a mental model, how to organize your thinking instead of just completing you know a task or regurgitating something yeah hopefully and i mean education systems even i know we we call them primary and secondary but it would be you know in america it's um what do you call your what do you call your your primary schools i know it's high school what's for it middle school and then what's for that elementary uh elementary yeah yeah so just i had a brain fart there yeah because in ireland and england in ireland and england we would say primary is elementary and secondaries are high school whereas america elementary elementary middle high school just different different word but i i really do feel that like i've strongly felt this for 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 a number of years now because i have a huge interest in human psychology and human behavior like like i love sapolsky's work i love daniel kahneman's work you know i just think um because like uh i mean you you may have heard me say this before because I've said it on many other podcasts or even listened to my previous podcast, but like a massive area of fascination for me has always been epigenetics. So just basically how envi- how organism and environment interact with each other and how the environment dictates an organism's expression 
And I suppose if we're talking about multicellular complex organs like humans, how does that environment shape a human being and everything they do from their perception of reality and then obviously their behaviors at any given moment. And sort of when I first became aware that, holy crap, like it's the environment that drastically shapes individuals, it just it allowed me to start to work on my levels of understanding and then compassion and empathy and towards like fellow human beings just to always ask the question well why like why is that person the way they are why is that situation the way it is and to always realize that there there always is a reason for why everyone and everything is the way that they are so the reason i bring that up is i believe in education i really think it will be beneficial to teach from elementary from primary school like just like human psychology and development 101 to say you know like you know, and you could teach in such easy sort of ways with examples and analogy. You know, you could say, well, you know, Muhammad there has these religious beliefs because he's from this part of the world and that part of the world. They believe that Allah is the God, whereas because in Ireland here we're multicultural, we, we would have mm-hmm. Muslims, and we'd have Catholics and we'd have Jewish people, maybe not so many Jewish people, but there's definitely different cultural people like we've a lot of people from Africa here. Uh, a lot of eastern europeans here so we'd have a multicultural background and it's just to make you know obviously when you're a younger kid the brain's more plastic and if you can teach the, the kid these sort of principles that well environment is huge and shaping organisms obviously you wouldn't say it that way but you say like different people are the way there for these reasons it'll just start to give that person understanding that certain people and certain things are the way they are because of the environment conditions that surround it around them and i just think then that could lead to better critical thinking as people get older because they have a better foundation to kind of understand the development of psychology so i think within elementary school and high school just the basics of human behavior behavioral development behavior and human psychology would be huge and then getting into third level education and you'd know this for someone who's been through a master's and a phd and an undergrad as well like yeah critical thinking is a huge thing and i felt very very lucky that during my master's at St. Mary's, it was one thing that they really pushed because your first year in St. Mary's, you have to take the research and statistics uh, model and it's all about critical thinking. Like we were reading papers on AIDS research and like there were some people in the course, you know, and they're thinking, this is a strength and conditioning course. What's this got to do? And it's like, that's not what they're, the whole point is that they're trying to see if you can critically break down. Like you should be able to read any research paper and be able to pick holes in it. Uh, yes. And, and, and I'm, I must say that like, because I, I think a lot of people jump on research straight away and always criticize it where anyone that's in research knows how hard it is to do research. So, you yes. know, always, always give a little bit of leeway there, but it's just, it's, yeah, I definitely, the whole point I'm trying to make here is that I, I think that it, it, it'd be so beneficial if humans were exposed to two things, the basics of human psychological development and behavioral development, just basics that could be explained in layman's terms. It doesn't have to be a big scientific thesis. And then, as from and again from elementary and primary school and definitely into third level education the skills of as you alluded to how to think and critical thinking i think if those two aspects were starting to incorporate into the whole education model not just third level and not just you know at the elementary level like all the way through i think it would really serve the human race to a, a large degree yeah it makes it makes me um really think a lot about how i want to talk to my kids in terms of kind of just diving a little bit deeper and asking, you know, how did you get that answer? What was, what was the process on how you, you know, did this math equation and get them to kind of think in that way a little bit. Um, And we could also probably dive into, I think there should be some sort of basic financial literacy, like aspect academics and so on and so forth. But yeah, it makes me really think about what I want to kind of provide my kid with in terms of better skills to navigate, which you know, I feel like I 
been able to identify in my own kind of experiences. Same thing as a trainer and coach, right? Absolutely. So Michelle, I'm going to ask you this question. So the, 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 the reason why I got you on today, as you already know, is I really want you to delve into like your whole system when it comes to assessment, when it comes to training, when it comes to communicating with your clients, your athletes, you know, maybe even get into your thoughts around pedagogy. Cause I think a lot of conversations on, on podcasts that we would, we would be um, aware of is a lot of people talk about like what they do, you know, in terms of their training systems, but uh, there isn't as much discussion about like, well, how do you communicate that? I know Brett Bartholomew is doing a lot too with, with a lot of his information, but I'm kind of getting more interested in like kind of coaching styles and pedagogy and how to communicate. Cause it's one thing to know knowledge um, it's another thing to be able to apply it and get people to understand it and buy in. So that might be something I'd love you to touch touch into. But before we get into your whole training system, I just want to ask about your influences. So you mentioned Pat Davidson, who obviously is a huge influence on me as well. Um, so along with Pat, who else would you say have been big influences on you throughout your career and also your life? And you can go as broad and as long with this as you want. Love it. Okay. Yeah. So we definitely have Pat Davis in there. Um, he kind of kicked my butt in uh, my master's program. I, I was defending my thesis, I think, and he knew I was going to continue on. He's, and I passed, but he took me aside very nicely, politely. He's like, hey, you know, Michelle, like that was fine, but like I know you can do better. And you know, I expect like more from you. And then I was just like, oh gosh, that's like, just like the butt kicking I, I needed. And like the next like years after that is I, I didn't take it. I took it a lot more seriously and put a lot more effort into it. And I think I really needed that. Um, but also at my time at Springfield, I feel like it was a very unique situation in terms of like the president of the university, the department chair. And um, what was the other one? the dean, the dean of the school, were all females. So I was able to actually be a graduate assistant to the dean and the department chair. And I also trained the president in grad school. So I got to know all these strong, you know, females who really didn't take any shit from anyone. And they gave me like a lot of advice and just being able to really ask them, you know, detailed questions and private questions and getting to know, you know, how they got to those spots. It, I think my confidence just from knowing those three individuals just absolutely skyrocketed during um, grad school. And it gave me a lot more confidence to build things on my own and move forward. Um, and then, you know, at Northeastern University, I think I worked with two of the most intelligent, amazing coaches that I've ever been around and Dan Sanzo and another guy named Justin. And they were just great. Northeastern University, I think when I was there for four or five years, I felt like I grew, you know, 15, 20 years during that time. And then also at Northeastern, we brought in a lot of Postural Restoration Institute seminars and they also paid um, for us to go to a lot of those seminars. So I think I've taken like probably 12, 13 courses. Um, and we were, we were kind of joking before we started recording about, yeah, I went to a, the vision course and it was one of those things where I'm like, this is the coolest thing ever. But then I like, you know, after I calmed down a little bit, a few weeks later, I was like, but I have absolutely no idea what to do with it. <laughs> uh, and then, of course, um, guys like Zach Couples, who are people who I knew in the industry, 
And never in a million years did I think I would be like friends with these individuals. And now I can say like, you know, Zach is a, a good friend now, which is amazing to have those experiences. And then of course, going to Bill Hartman's intensive, I think, man, I was, I was kind of really blown away. It kind of just completely distorted my sense of reality <laughs> and um, just how to have a different lens towards movements and what we were doing. Um, and then honestly, having a business kind of mentor in terms of knowing a few people in the industry and kind of having to shift gears when I created my own business. I mean, you can know all the biomechanics and training information that you want, but like you have to know the business side of it and marketing. And I think I really had to flip gears and learn a lot about that. And a lady named Beverly Simpson, um, who's someone who I relied on to teach me a lot of that stuff. So I'm very, very thankful that I, you know, know a lot of uh, other aspects of the business because of her as well. I was smiling to myself when you mentioned the intensive, when you mentioned the intensive because now of course as time goes on memories obviously aren't as 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 good as they could be but I can I can remember like the feeling and the moment and, and essentially what you said but it was the Thursday evening when when Bill sits everyone down and says well, what do you want from this course and he goes around the room and he asks everyone individually in front of the group and I just remember when it got to you and like you were trying to articulate like what it was and then you were just like i just want i just want i want to be like better at life <laughs> or it was, so, it was like something along like you said life anyway it was like better at life or to like to like maximize life and in my head that's exactly like what i like was wanting to say to i was like it's just because of me it's just like i always say like just trying to optimize the human experience which just really means just fucking maximize life like and it's just because i remember when you said it i was like yes michelle yes I was, like, <laughs> I was like punching the table going yes i so felt really proud about myself because i think bill thought i had gave like a very unique answer and i was like oh bill thought that was like cool i was like good credit to me but i think i said something along the lines of i want to know a little bit more about what it means to be human yeah and he was yeah. just like boom he was like that yeah. was great yeah, it was just say yeah, because but I just remember what I, that's why I say my memory. I could just remember how I felt in the moment more so than the words. I was something around like life or humor. I was just like that's. But that's what it was. It was, uh, you know, I've read a few books about. I went through like a deep dive of quantum biology and diving into these things where you know general science courses don't even touch upon about how we can exchange light and frequencies with each other and energy. And, you know, seeing his seminar really opened up my, you know, eyeballs a little bit into being able to think a little bit differently about the human body in general. And then just the kind of guy Bill is, he sent me a book after the course called Status Anxiety, which I highly recommend to people. Um, and that also touched on a little bit of the questions that I had for him, you know, in private at dinner and things like that. And I mean, when someone goes out of their way to do something like that for you, it's also even just a different aspect of the information, being able to meet someone that you look up to and a mentor and they're not an asshole. <laughs> and I, I think it also helps you determine as a person, the type of qualities that you want to have. And then also meeting people who you, 
you don't want to behave the way that they do, or you don't want their qualities. Um, and that was kind of all mixed in there during that experience. Yeah, it was, it was an amazing, it was an amazing few days for sure. So your system, how, <laughs> how has it evolved? Where is it currently? So when I say system, like in my mind, I'm thinking, you know, again, I suppose it nearly goes back to what we just had a joke there about in terms of like, you know, being human or maximizing being a human. So like in, when, when you work with an individual, like how, like how does that whole process go now? You know, from is there an assessment? You know, what's the training look like? And how is it individualized? And again, as I alluded to, how do you communicate your message to your clients and athletes? So the floor is all yours. Take yeah. it away. And if anything organically pops up, I'll, I'll ask when you're when you're finished. All right, please, Dale. So basically a system just means um, separate processes that establish procedures. So basically what that is, if someone comes to me, I have basically a checklist that I go through to make sure I'm following the same thing for every individual. And then also for myself, I'm collecting what information that I need. I'm using that information um, that's useful to the individual and is efficient for, for my process or you know my time. In terms of if someone comes reaches out to me for training. The first thing I'm probably going to do is have a set a phone call with that individual so I can hear them talk, kind of test out their personality, what do they know, um, and then also create expectations up front. So I want to be clear about what I do um, so there isn't a mismatch of what this is going to be to that individual. And of course, things like waivers, payment, all that stuff. In terms of expectations, you know, I make sure that it's very clear that I, I deal with fitness and improving fitness. And yes, I have skills and other aspects that uh, can relate to attaining a fitness goal in terms of hopefully making sure that there's no pain involved. But to be clear, I make sure that I'm not someone that's going to directly fix a, a pain issue or an injury. Um, and I have a huge referral system that I always send people to. And I work with a lot of physical therapists. So if someone does come to me for that, what I'll usually do is I'll collaborate with you know friends that I have, Mike Cambrini, Tim Richard, um, or Dan Sanzo if they're if they're local. And I'll work with that individual to say, hey, what are you seeing? And then how can I implement a fitness program working with what you see? Anyways, that's down the line. And then I have an intake process. So they have a questionnaire. And then our first session together, I treat as an orientation session. So we, of course, we talk about their goals, where they want to be. And then questions prompting like, you know, what is it going to look like when you do reach that goal or gain that outcome? Um, what are some barriers that you may have to overcome along the way? So we can kind of look out for those as well. And then I'll do a few movement assessments, but it's really in line with the types of activities that we will be doing, such as really the only outside one is a toe touch. And then I'll move in to see their squat, split squat. And those are really my assessments. And I use video. Um, I think video is an extremely useful tool for coaches. 
uh, to be able to show that individual um, some feedback as well as see long-term uh, outcomes and progressions. And then I'll take that individual through a typical session just so they understand like what we'll be doing and what a typical session with me is. Um, in terms of communication, I think over the past few years, especially in the private industry, the private industry has really gave me some unique lessons in terms of communicating with people. So I really try not to overcomplicate things and I try to relate what we're doing as much as possible to like their outcome. So if someone's a golfer, um, I wanna say like, you know, golf swing when you're doing this with your hips, that's exactly like what we're doing here. Um, and then let's see, training sessions. So I have, so what you really need to do is turn the things that you believe in. So your principles, which we can get into in a little bit and your system. So your procedures into like some sort of format. So I have a template. So every time I go to program, I have an outline uh, where things are gonna be written in, where the reps and sets are gonna be written in, where the exercises are. And it's sectioned out into very specific things that I want to either teach someone or fitness quality that I wanna focus on during that time block. And so having that template allows me to program easier over time and also keeps my training sessions like structured. So there's not a lot of like unpredictable, unpredictability within like a training session. So, you know, the individual always knows, you know, kind of we're going to do this first, then it's going to move into these types of activities. And then we're going to finish with these types of activities. Um, so it keeps a good flow. It makes me really efficient for planning. And it also keeps expectations very clear with like the people that I work with. So that's kind of a little gist. Um, I use, and I'm really big on training principles. That's kind of a lot what I teach in my course. And a lot of the stuff, you know, I've gotten from, from Bill in terms of, I went to go see Bill talk. And I think Doug Kachian, and I think it was Ben House at a seminar in Connecticut many, many years back when I was just starting at Northeastern, I believe. And uh, he gave a talk about like models and principles. <laughs> I literally left being like, I have no idea what that guy is talking about. Like, that's not useful for me at all. And it actually took me a few years and I went back to that presentation and I actually talked to Bill about it a little bit more. And I was like, wow, little did I know that that presentation would have a huge impact on me later on when I was ready for it. Because the first thing, or I think I, if I would say I had a scale at something, it would be like organizing information and principles really allow you to do that. And we've talked about an information filter. And if you have the things that you really believe in, what's important in training, what your client should be good at doing what you want them to learn. Then you can run new information through that as better teaching components and more useful strategies to be able to have your clients do those things faster and better or more efficient. And uh, so my five 
training principles that I've learned throughout the years and put together. They're basically, you know, overarching concepts or phrases that I think everyone should be capable of doing. And I'm always focused on within my training sessions and planning and like results. So you you ready for this, Robbie? <laughs> All right. So the first one is reduce fear and address needs. So this one really came from in the private setting because I was always used to working with athletes who had no fear of movement. If you told them that, you know, do a 30 inch box drop or depth drop landing, they would be like, yeah, absolutely. No problem. Right. Um, but dealing with a lot of people who've had pain issues, especially chronic pain issues, fear of movement, fear of exercise. Um, I think my number one goal really shifted to not have anyone fear movement and ways to go about doing that. Um, and so that one is something that is really reflected in my coaching um, and my communication with people and not trying not to focus on saying this is good, this is bad um, and make things like really black and white and be able to have conversations with people about their pain without, you know, diminishing it and also not preventing them or holding them back in some way. And uh, I think Lucy Hendricks um, does a really great job with that as well. And Zach Couples putting out information regarding that. And then the next one is, this is definitely PRI influence. It's uh, proximal position influences distal movement abilities. So I feel like that's kind of self-evident, especially people who probably listen to this podcast in terms of, you know, I'm looking at rib cage and pelvis mechanics and how that could possibly dictate, you know, arm and leg movement abilities. Um, and then the third one is performance training is coordination training with resistance. And this really comes um, from Bosch um, is information. And it's really just saying that, you know, if your performance is the goal, well, let's break down what coordination means. And then we can use resistance as a tool to be able to uh, improve skills within that coordination ability. So say, for example, multi-directional speed, I would consider as like a coordinated activity. And you can break down the individual skills needed within that. And then from there, you can even break down skills to abilities. So say, for example, uh, if I need to be able to linear, linearly accelerate for 10 yards, well, that's a skill within multidirectional speed. And now I have to have this, um, a role of a coach just to be able to say, okay, what does this person need to be capable of doing to be able to improve their linear acceleration? And that's where we create exercises and drills to be able to improve those things. So it's kind of just a way of thinking about how do I break this down and improve on individual things to improve the whole and some, uh, a tool to be able to do that is through, you know, resisted activities. And then the last one is definitely again, PRI influence, um, athletic skill acquisition includes the ability to transition from leg to leg. So can someone center their self, center themselves over leg transition to the other leg? Can they be able to push forward? Can they push back um, moving from leg to leg? And that is 
an overarching concept that I really implement with a lot of the exercises that I choose to teach people those types of skills. And then the last one is growth is experience in various types of hard work. So this is kind of moving in the realm of in the collegiate setting, trying to define what hard work actually means. And I think a lot of people just solely associated with physical hard work. And that's all you need is I just need to do more. I just need to work um, higher in terms of like a higher intensity scale or more weight. And it's really showing people that hard work can also mean a very sensory based activity because that can be extremely hard. That could be having a perspective in terms of the other 23 hours of the day influencing you know, your goals just as much as that one hour you spend in the gym or having some sort of gratitude, gratitude and humility uh, in your life. Um, that's also hard, types of hard work. Um, so those are all the things that I reflect on when I coach, you know, when I'm walking home from the gym being like, you know, what do I think I did okay with during the session? And then what do I think I can improve on during the session? What was I trying to teach them? Did I do a good job of it? Um, do they have the ability to transition from leg to leg? If not, you know, what, what, what can I add in next time? So I just kind of go through these constantly in my head, um, within my system and within my day-to-day -day activity. Nailed it. That was, <laughs> that was awesome. Really, really was. I was engrossed there listening to that. Cause did I talk as fast as you do? <laughs> Absolutely not. <laughs> no, I don't think so. Just for the listeners, I, I was telling Michelle when I when I originally interned at Mike Boyles, nobody could understand me because I, I speak so fast. Um, a, qu a question I have for you, Michelle, is so you, you're you're a very extensive background in terms of, you know, undergrad, master's, PhD, worked in a collegiate setting, private company and now self-employed. Just in terms of that whole evolution, like if I was to have met Michelle at all these different stages, what, like, who would I, who would I have met? You know what I mean? Like, so basically like how, how have you evolved as a coach and as a person through your extensive background right up to where you are right now? Cause, because uh, what's in my head is like, you know, cause I know me, like, you know, let's say like pre like PRI, like strength training was just like big bilateral lifts and you know, like, you know, arch, arch, chest up. But then like when I got to know more about PRI, it was like, oh that's actually not good <laughs> you know just like you know stuff like that and uh, obviously other other influences and for instance Mike Boyle obviously was a huge influence to me early on in in my uh, professional career so I had a very um I don't want to say skewed but my lens to look at strength and condition was very much through like biomechanics in terms of like single leg and I knew didn't know much about physiology or biochemistry and then along comes Dave Tanney who introduced me to Joel Jameson and then, Oh, this whole energy system world opened up and, you know, for about four or five year period, everyone was like, Oh, once you know, Joel's book, you know, energy systems. And then when you dive into it deeper, I mean, Aaron Davis and a James Sturf Mopex are like, fuck, I know nothing about energy systems. Damn it. Yeah. So it's just kind of like talk more about like your evolution as a coach. And it's funny because you look back and go, oh my God, I was dangerous back then. <laughs> you, you're like i thought i knew i thought i knew everything when re it was that crony that dunning kruger sort of effect going on yeah you definitely i think you have to have a perspective of like 
you know, we can all get to the same outcome or same result through different manners and, and not kind of, you know, being a little easy on yourself is what I'm trying to say in terms of like what you've done in the past. But yeah, when I was in grad school, it was all that. It was really all you focused on like back squat progressions and chest up, butt out kind of a things, Olympic lifts, how you teach those. And that was pretty much like, you know, the big three lifts is really what we focus on, how to program for those. Uh, as a person, I think I was extremely quiet and like reserved. And I remember Pat Davison saying something like, yeah, I would have never pictured, like Michelle would probably be like the last person I would picture as being like, someone who like speaks out and like presents now and like is outspoken a little bit. Um, so that's kind of a funny transition there, but in the collegiate setting, I think you are shoved into projecting yourself a little bit more. You have to show confidence. You have 23 to 50, you know, people in front of you, 18 to 21 year olds. And you are forced in a position where your confidence needs to grow and your leadership needs to grow. And I think that was a huge stepping point for me where I can, yeah, I feel confident projecting my voice, saying what's on my mind, um, being able to communicate with someone about what I want them to do. So that was an extremely huge coaching experience and really dialing in on that skill. And then also, during that time, I think I transitioned. I was reading a lot of, you know, triphasic training for me. Cal Dietz was a huge influence. But I think, again, I had that skill of being like, oh, you know, his programs in the back of the book. I don't have to do those programs. What he's really trying to tell me here and communicate with me is the concepts he uses within his programs. And that's what I want to take out. And now I can create my own exercises or my own programming, but I can use, you know, his French contrast kind of concept and triphasic tempo concepts, and I can make huge gains. Um, and then that's also a period of, I think I was working with coaches who were a bit older than me, had a little bit more experience. And I think that is an environment that you will exponentially grow when you are not the smartest in the room. And so during that time, watching uh, Justin coach and Dan Sanzo, um, that was where I really learned how to integrate a lot of the biomechanical concepts I was learning during that time from PRI seminars and, you know, so on and so forth into actual fitness exercises um, to help performance and affect an athlete um, to a greater scale. And then I kind of shifted into the private setting and that was a humongous, complete paradigm shift for me in terms of, oh, now I have to actually, instead of people coming to me and not having any choice whatsoever, like I actually have to go find people and convince them um, that them spending money is worth it when working with me. Um, and that was a huge black and white, like skill set that I had to learn. Um, I had to really push a lot of my, you know, biomechanics, strength training kind of education to the side of it and change priorities into business, marketing, finances, things like that. 
And I think I grew a lot as a person in that aspect as well, in terms of having a better foundation about the future that I want to create for myself, um, how I communicate with people. That was a light bulb that went off in my head in terms of, I can't use these phrases that I'm used to using with my colleagues in terms of, um, you know, propulsion or um, loading or even the word hamstring for people is not something they really know. Like, can you change your language to uh, the back of the thigh? Um, We're just going to push you back or push forward. Um, Really being very selective with the words that I use. Um, and how it influences other people, because your, inf- your, your words can be very strong on other people. And then now I've shifted to self-employment, of course, I'm sure you know, there's a lot of things you have to learn with in terms of LLC, you know, <laughs> annual payments, things like that, running a small business on your own, um, what you want to focus your time on, um, bringing in other people to work with you. Um, so that's kind of the shift I've had to, to make over time. And I think that's why it's so important that I was able to take time and really dial in on what I believe in with training, because at some point you're not just going to exponentially be learning about biomechanics and strength training concepts you know, to grow in this field, you have to kind of start diving into other aspects. It's perfect, actually, because you, you kind of start to answer a question, which I was going to ask, which is sort of, I was going to ask if you could, and again, you've kind of touched on this, if you could describe the sort of growth and learnings and even what you were feeling at that time through the transition, say, from collegiate to private and then into um being your being your own company essentially Uh, so just to to follow on from that could you talk us through like what led to those decisions like why leave northeast and and then go to the private sector and then why leave the private sector and now go out on your own and and maybe just discuss like and you've kind of touched already but like what were the big learnings you took away from i know you said communication was a huge thing um but like i suppose now i'm asking like what what how did you come to those decisions and what were you feeling at that time because i'm there's two, well, there's many things I'm fascinated in, but I always love, and I'll be asking you this later, I'm all, I am always love to ask people like how they learn. So like, you know, how they go about mastery. So I'll definitely ask you that as our next question. But I'm also fascinated in how people make decisions, particularly when it comes to like big life decisions that, you know, initially seem scary, but they do have a lot of excitement in them because I'm very fascinated by the human condition of uncertainty versus certainty. Because as humans, we hate uncertainty, but then also... Mm-hmm if things are too certain, we also don't like that either because then it becomes burnout mode. Then it's like, Oh, this again and again and again. But then the reason why we usually stick to something that's, that's certain, even if it's painful is because it's certain. That's why like people stay in bad relationships or jobs. They hate because they're like, well, this is crap, but at least I know I'm getting every day. So it's not unpredictable and I don't have to wor- worry about the fear of the unknown. So two things I'm fascinated with is people's decision makings and then how people learn. So the first one there is like, how did you come to make those? They're, they're big decisions. Like Northeastern is a very good, mm-hmm. well-reputable um, university, particularly when it comes to S&C. And then you're moving into the private sector and then, you know, you were there for a period of time and now you're out on your own. So I just love to know how the decision process and like how the emotions, if you can still reflect on what you're feeling at that time. Because again, I, I no doubt there was some fear attached to each move 
And I suppose, like, what did you do mentally to kind of steal yourself to say, no, I'm going to do this? Absolutely. And I think each one of these decisions also correspond to personal aspects of my life. So when I was at Northeastern, I was single living in Boston. And it got to a point where, you know, I think after about four years there, to me, there will still be nothing better than working with a group of athletes or a team. Like that is something that you cannot replace. I will always miss and was by far the best aspect of being there, especially the types of people who are there. And again, working with the types of coaches who are there. So Northeastern was one of the best, the best experiences I've ever had. Um, but it also gets to like your points where, you know, you have to think about your next life choices in terms of in the collegiate setting, everyone knows, and it is a well-known thing. You're going to put, you know, 10 to 14 hour days in, you're going to get there first thing in the morning, you'll have teams at night. And sometimes you'll travel with teams, things like that. And the pay isn't going to match that. So, you know, you don't really make that much money and which fine when you're, you know, single and whatnot, or you have life choices that you're able to, that's plenty of money to live off of. Um, I wasn't, I was kind of getting to the point where I was thinking about a possible next step, but I wasn't seeking it out at all. I was actually even contemplating moving into the academic setting and being a professor. So at that time, I was also adjunct teaching at a manual college, which was in Boston. So I would basically come in at Northeastern, maybe have a morning team, maybe not, maybe come in a little later in that day. And I would go to a manual first and teach a few courses. One of them was like anatomy and physiology, basic level stuff. Um, So I was working two jobs because you know, if you're not making a lot of money with your primary job, like everyone I knew in the collegiate setting had a secondary job, either they were training people on the side or doing something else for this, I was adjunct teaching. And then I also during that time, created the first edition of a a database. So instead of, you know, training people on the side, I created a product that I was trying to make supplementary income from. So it's like, okay, well, I'm not, you know, at some point I am going to have to move on from this. And then I was actually approached by a private training facility about becoming a director there, having a role in the education of the employees, which I was like, that's exactly what I want to do. It kind of like incorporated, you know, me having the desire to be a professor and then also still being able to train people. Um, And then I went there Um, at that point in my life, I was transitioning into like a serious relationship. Um, I was definitely making probably double the amount of money from Northeastern. Um, but there was just like something missing. Maybe it was my personality in terms of, I thought I could do something better or, you know, I just wasn't liking the environment or situation that I was in. And that was actually affecting, I thought, you know, my coaching or my coaching potential. I don't think I was doing that great of a job. And so I decided to remove myself from that situation and just kind of go all in on doing my own thing, building something from scratch, which I feel like I one had the confidence for and had the work ethic for. Um, And then at that point, um, 
I was entering into basically a marriage. So things in my life were changing where, you know, I wanted more flexibility in my schedule. I didn't want to be on someone else's time. I wanted to be on my own time. Um, And that's kind of, I wanted to create a lifestyle for myself that I could see for many, many years to come. And so those are types of like ways I made decisions in terms of how I felt. I think the scariest thing for me was leaving Northeastern. It took me a very long time to make that decision. I was excited about like another challenge or exploring something else, but I was so happy there and loved what I did that it did take a long time. Um, And I also was negotiating my contract with the private facility and I was reaching out to people who I admired, including Pat Davison about that. And so that was something I also wasn't used to in terms of like sticking up for myself and saying like, Hey, I'm not worth this. I'm worth that. Um, and like negotiating some terms and, and such as, you know, if I do something on the side, um, you know, those things were, were kind of going back and forth and things that I was just like, I have no idea about, you know, um, being able to negotiate and then pro- starting my private I think I've never been more sure of a decision. And of course, there was a lot of anxiety going into that in terms of nervousness of providing for myself and a lot of the risk. You know, I don't I don't have health insurance anymore. I have to go out and get that on my own. Um, I have to pay taxes quarterly now. Um, I have to figure out, you know, all different types of business finances and whatnot. But I think that was that was something that I had anxiety in regards to that, but not about actual moving on and starting my own thing. That was extremely like, exciting. <laughs> is, is there any resources you'd recommend for individuals who are sort of thinking about, you know, uh, uh, the next step in their career or the progression as, as a human that helped you through those kind of two to three major events? Well, those two major events, Northeastern is private and privateer your own gig now is there any sort of resources that really helped you and just sorry I'll follow on to that too while you were while you were sort of going out on your own transition from that private sector job to being on your own did you initially start that while you were still working for that private company like knowing that like were you saving money were you we seeking out a business coach or a mentor to, to help you in that transition um, so I think the best resources are the people in your life of the people in your life can see you on a daily basis. They, they hear you either vent about your job or they hear you how happy you are and can't wait to go to work. And if someone hears you not enthusiastic about your job, I think they could be the most positive influences on pushing you to do something past your comfort zone. Um, so I called a lot of my friends, talked them through like the situation where I was at, but I also at the same time <sighs> took what they said with a grain of salt in terms of hearing them out, but not like doing exactly what, what they say, you know, um, but being able to kind of get your emotions out is extremely important. And then also having people who, you know, 
going back, the biggest kind of influence you can have in making those decisions and thinking about your future is exposing yourself to as many things as possible. So doing internships in the private sector, in collegiate, um, you know, do an online training for yourself, maybe test out the water to so see how you like, you know, working for yourself. And then also having people in those arenas that you can reach out to, to talk through situations. So I was able to you know, talk to someone who works in the collegiate setting about it, um, who's there after 20 years. So I can kind of have an understanding of what it's like to be somewhere for 20 years. I have someone who works in the private setting like Pat Davison, who, you know, can run me through all the risk and benefits of working on your own and what it's like to, you know, bring in clients. Um, so I think reaching out to people is your number one resource that you have. Um, what was the other part of the question? When you were transitioning um, to going out on your own, did you, like had you had you started that process while you were still working for oh, the private uh, company? Um, I think the number one mistake that people make is either a super fast reaction, like emotional decisions of like, I'm done, I'm quitting today. And then the next day they wake up and they have nothing. Like you just made the situation 10 times worse for yourself um, by emo right, reacting emotionally. So I would say if you know you're going to leave somewhere, you better start setting up a situation where you know, you have something the next day that um, after you leave. Um, so start making moves a little bit. So you have a realistic expectation, you know where to go. If you have clients who are coming with you or you, that are interested in training with you, you have a place to train them the next day. Um, so yeah, of course, like I I'm not, I'm not a very emotional person overall. I'm very calm, level-headed. <laughs> Some people probably don't like that. But um, I'm not going to make a very reactive decision. So yeah, of course, I knew that this time was coming to an end. So I sought out possible other places to train people. Um, what was my situation going to be like? Um, what steps do I have to do? So that next day, I had a step to take. I had, um, you know, the you know, if it was one client that you have, at least you can train that one client somewhere else um, and then work on things moving forward. Um, so yeah, I definitely did that. Um, but again, I, I think if you don't do that, I would, I would say um, you weren't looking out for, for yourself very well um, in that situation. Brilliant, brilliant. And just, I, I didn't say it, um, but the, your answer about having other individuals as your resource that really resonated with me because I suppose it's it is very important to get that sort of more objective less subjective external outlook because when you said that it really resonated to a point in my life where I was at a certain place and I was miserable but I didn't know I was miserable until someone else said you're miserable like yeah. you you do not love this anymore and it's kind of like when when that individual said that i was like you're right i, I don't like I, I, this doesn't fulfill me anymore and again it just, it just goes back to what i was alluding to earlier that the reason why I, I was didn't put any sort of action plan in place to move on it was because the situation i was in was certain it was safe you know i was getting mm -hmm. a wage i was getting a salary 
but the fulfillment had gone like and it's that sort of that that almost wrestling match you have in your head of like this isn't fulfilling anymore you know the right thing to do is step away it's only fair to you and fair to the organization that you're with not to do this anymore because it's not fulfilling for you and it's not you're not giving your all to the organization but the other part is obviously that scary part what do i do where do i go you yeah know, like exactly. that, that, that little child part like well, what like what if i have no money for food and rent yeah it's just it's just <laughs> it's fear you know like and then what if fe- i fail yeah and fear is that apparently fear is an acronym for false evidence appearing real so yeah. you start buying into that bullshit you know yeah and but, the other thing too is yeah. um you you said the word fulfillment and when you're you know 25 single you know i was living in boston my job was my life. Like, that's why I could easily work 10 to 14 hour days because I loved it. I was all in, right? That was my fulfillment. But as my personal life grew and changed and adapted, I was being so fulfilled in my personal life that I think, you know, my professional life kind of took a back burner a little bit. And I was actually, I think, more... I don't really like to use the word happy, but I was definitely more fulfilled because of my personal life was more fulfilled. And it was okay for me that my professional life took a back burner because I, I was just overall, it, my life just changed and evolved and now I'm married. And I think that's will always be my first priority. And it has changed for me since I was you know 25 and single, where I think it would have flip-flopped a little bit yeah what you just said there resonates so much with me because i've had this discussion with so many friends and peers really what we're talking about here is our core values and priorities change throughout our life mm-hmm. like i always kind of jokingly say you can't tell me your pro your core values or your priorities at 19 years of age are going to be the same when you're in your mid-30s with mortgage and kids and a wife now. exactly you know like when you were 19 and single and in college like getting drunk like your priorities are completely <laughs> different. and and the key thing is to know that that's okay because that's yes. evolution that's growth and um, so a, a, you know a, a reinvestigation into our core values on a regular basis or a semi-regular basis is very very important because mm-hmm. that because if we don't do that that is what then leads to stagnation and then you can actually get into periods of time where and then obviously if things become you know habits or the way you're living it it just becomes like habituation that's when you do need and that's why your answer we said other people are your resources I, I think that was such a brilliant answer where like it, it like for me again it was actually an, an individual who just came and said it to me but the way you went about it was you actually seeked out other people and explained your situation and got their feedback from it and also what i really appreciated about your answer and your thought process was, was you didn't fully buy what everyone told you to because sometimes you you could be it's almost as if like, for instance, like going back to my situation where it's like, right, I'm miserable and I know I need to make a career change. And if this person says make a career change, that's my validation. I'm going to definitely do it. Mm-hmm. Whereas like you can say, okay, that's one person that said that. Let's see what another person says. And let's see what the other 20 people say. Cause then you're going to get a big, you might get, you might get, so I don't, let's say we went to 20 people. The overarching message could be, yeah, you need to move on, but they could give you different strategies that could do it in better ways. You know what I mean? So like person one can say, oh, just quit tomorrow. You, you gotta get out of there whereas like, exactly per, whereas like person person eight nine and 13 and 17 they came back really good well listen when i went through that in my life here's what i did i waited a month i saved up a bit of money i you know i sat down i wrote or they could say i i got a mentor or they say i started meditate or something you know what i mean they could mm-hmm. say this is how i went about this change in my life that, that could really help you right now so 
yeah, I think your answer on resources is is absolutely huge. And the second part there I want to make was that it is so important for people to understand that it is okay that things that fulfill you today will not fulfill you tomorrow because your yes. priorities and core values in your life change. It's the whole journey of life. Because and the other thing is, and I'll shut up now because again, you're the guest, and I often get people saying you talk too much. I was like, well, it's my podcast. Fuck. It's my podcast, fuckers. Just press, just press fast forward. Yeah, um, <laughs> and listen to Michelle because she's got she's got the real knowledge. But uh, like, it's it's funny because I I often think we have a double standard in that we we almost praise individuals like when someone says, oh, I've I've changed career paths because I realized that my former career was and they might use these words, but they're basically I wasn't getting fulfillment from this. I knew it was time to move on. And like we applaud that and say, you know, that's brave. Well done. You know, that's 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 growth. That's evolution. But for some reason, then, when it comes to the same thought process with a relationship with someone, it's almost as if it's poo-pooed. It's like, yeah, I was married, but we got divorced. And everyone's like, oh, you didn't grind it out hard enough. It's like, <laughs> hold on a second. This person just said they changed careers because it wasn't fulfilling. And you were like, oh, well done. Brave, brave, brave. But when it came to a relationship, it was like different logic. I was like, no, no. Like, if, like it is, it, it's the same thing. It's like, it, it is okay for two people to love each other and nourish each other and provide fulfillment to each other. And if that happens to continue for the rest of their lives, well, then that's brilliant. But for a lot of people, that only continues for a certain period of time. And then to be completely fair to each one another. And if there is a family involved with kids, it is only fair that the, that these people have to go on to the next chapter of their lives. Because if there's no nourishment or love or fulfillment there anymore, it's it, the whole ecosystem is broken down. That's why, like in Ireland, there used to be this fucking thing of... The, the mom and dad would stay, I don't know, it's like in other parts of the world, but this is a cultural thing in Ireland that used to happen back two or three generations, up until two or three generations ago. But the parents would like hate each other and they knew that they did, well, the parents would fall out of love with one another, but they, mm-hmm. they just stuck out until the kids were grown up and gone and left the household because they thought that was a better thing to do. But it ended up just fucking up their kids because they're like, oh, my mom and dad hated each other. You know, whereas it would be better yeah. if, they, if they just had been honest with the kids saying, listen, like let's say that um, the mother and father said we 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 still care about each other we deeply did love one another we 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 love you we there's no doubt that my mo- the mom and me same with the dad your mother and i still love you but the love for myself and my between me and mom has has is diminished somewhat and that that's okay that happens the nourishment goes away sometimes but we still care about each other and we still love you like you know if they just sat down and explained it like that would have had us now I can't say like you can't make predictions, but it would have been a healthier way to have gone about it than having that sort of unsaid sort of like, oh, Jesus Christ, like what's going on here? And then, you know, because I've just I've seen it so many times through friends I've had and all that, that, you know, that, that they, they, they just stuck together when it was like. So, again, the whole over the thing I'm trying to get and I know you, you, you know what I'm alluding to here, but what I'm trying mm-hmm. to, to express is that it is OK that you know things that fulfilled you people that fulfilled you don't fulfill you anymore and it's okay to move on from there because life is about growth it's about continual evolution it's about the next chapter in your life and the fact that we applaud that when it comes to one area of life like a career change and then we don't use the same lens when it comes to fulfillment and relationship it just always used to boggle my mind i just like can you not see the 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 the, what the hypocrisy the hypocrisy in that like you know what i mean and just, uh, yeah, just, uh, I really, just your answers resonate high with me. So I really appreciate your honesty. Yeah. And, you know, we always, everyone thinks failure is bad, but it's only bad if you don't learn anything. Like you said, you know, it's always make sure you reflect and be able to carry those things over to the next opportunity that comes or next situation. And then going back to 
not taking everything people say so seriously, especially when you're reaching out about your own situations, always keep in mind, of course, you realize this with psychology and your interest in it of understanding people's biases, right? Like when I was talking to a college professor about what I wanted to do next in my career, what do you think they said? Be a college professor. It's so great. It's so awesome. And, you know, I don't know about that, but uh, <laughs> um, you just have to understand like where people are coming from and they have the best intentions. Um, but being able to pick out and discern different qualities from people is um, is something you always need to do as well. Love that word discern. It's very, very good. And what you remind me of there was that that, that Fergus Connolly story where he goes, you know, you have an athlete do something amazing in their sport and like the sports coaches, that's my work. And then the SEC and the SEC <laughs> coach is like, that's my work. And then the new the sports nutritionist is like, that's my work. And the psychologist, see that? That's my work. So they are the physiotherapist, that's my so again, going from like, you know, they alter their own lens. It's because they're biases, you know what I mean? All the, yeah, Absolutely. So 100% agree. Come here, I have uh, 12 minutes left. Um, and I don't want to keep you either because you're being very kind with your time. But mastery. So um, I want to ask you about mastery. And I have just one or two wrap-up questions. And then obviously you're going to give our listeners a plug if they want to reach out to you and everything you have to offer. Right. So the mastery question, how do you learn? So there's a topic that Michelle Boland wants to learn. She wants to take a deep dive into it. Tell me about that process. Oh, that's, that's a great process. So I'll give you maybe a little bit of an example. So um, I wanted to learn more about multidirectional speed work um, and how to, you know, create better drills for people. Um, and I want everyone from my youth athletes to, you know, my senior age athletes to be able to do some sort of something in that realm. So of course I sought out the two people who I admire most in, in that, that area, Lee Taft and um, actually Justin Moore, who's a performance coach for Parabolic. And you, you're obviously familiar with him. And uh, so, for example, Justin Moore, he did a presentation for Rebel Performance, like some sort of summit during COVID. And it was very long. It was like two and a half hours. So I broke it up in chunks, like 20, 30 minutes at a time, sat there with my notebook. Um, I would watch maybe 10 minutes of it. And then I would go back and take notes on that. Uh, so I kind of double dosed on it. And then what I do is, you know, I kind of took a few days, didn't really do anything. And then I went back to my notes, made highlights, read through them, took another color pen, wrote notes on the side. And then what I did is I went the next step further in terms of going back to, again, creating a process and organizing um, that information to be able to utilize it better. So I took out a blank piece of paper and I wrote down kind of different categories of the information and then drills that I learned to be able to teach that. And I think... I don't need to write down every single regression and progression. That's more of just like on the coaching fly. If this person's not getting it, I feel pretty confident where I can make some changes to be able to dial it back or even push it forward a little bit more. Um, but it's just creating, you know, organizing what multi-directional speed means for me 
the people that I work with. So thinking about different clients, what would work best for this individual. And that's how I kind of broke down multi-directional speed into the skills that are needed, the abilities within those skills and drills to support that. So I basically created my uh, a system and actually I have an article coming out on MikeRobertson.com, Robertson Training Systems on Monday about how I really organize and think about multi-directional speed. Um, so basically I turn it into a mental model for myself. And then I basically have that now where that's how I think of things. That's, I don't need to, you know, go back into the information because I have it in categories in, in my brain a little bit and it falls within kind of what I do. So it goes back to the ability to transition from leg to leg. Well, that's just now how I think about it in terms of speed and power drills. Um, and so that's kind of my process. I, I'll go through the information, I'll double back into my notes and then I'll organize that information and then I'll put it into practice um, and, and apply it with the people that I work with. Yeah, excellent stuff. Yeah, very similar to, very similar. Well, I don't know if you're familiar with uh, Jim Quick. He um, He's like that learning, he's a memory, learning and memory recall guy, but he has an acronym called FAST to help people with their learning and their retention of information. And uh, the FAST stands for forget, active state and teach. So like uh, the, it's it's funny because he's like the F stands for forgetting. He's like when you're trying to remember things or master topic and the first things forget. He's like people are like what? Why would I forget? But his it's it is actually very good when he explains what he means. But he's like he's like you need to go. You need to approach every new topic or a, a new area of research with a with a clean slate. Like so, mm-hmm. he's like you you may have some knowledge around this area that you're trying to master that might actually cloud you really master the topic because you think oh i already know that let's move on yeah. like you know that's uh, that's that's only fundamentals i already know that and he's like whereas you need to kind of approach it with a beginner mindset and so that's what the forget is for and then active he's like learning just has to be active so again your process there you were taking notes you highlighted you went back you made it active you didn't just like sit and watch a whole two and a half hours and we're like texting what you were doing or like just daydream and do you know what i mean you yeah. were you were actively engaged in it and that's not to say that because I know a lot of us do this, we put on a podcast, we go for a walk and we kind of not, we're kind of kind of subconscious listening to podcasts. There, there is benefits to that as well. But if you're really trying to master a topic and also do it in a specific time frame, like you only have two weeks to do something, like you're really going to dive in. So like, yeah. Yeah, try to be as active as possible. So being active is again, like taking notes. Personally, my best way of being active is taking tests. Like, so when I oh, read okay. something, I take a test right after. Because then it's nice. just, and it's so funny because sometimes you're like, what the fuck where was i when i read that i was gone like and you go back and read it again it goes oh, da, da, da. but it, the, the test really helps you know what i mean and the reason why people don't do that and you lose this is because they're afraid to be wrong like they're afraid that oh what i read there i'll write down the wrong thing and the best i got this from bill the best book uh, one of the best book recommendations i ever got was make it stick and the whole book's about how to learn mm-hmm. and how to master and how to retain information and and how to really understand and comprehend information and that was one of the big things i took away from that book was just like take a test and i also love another thing that they said was that like before you even start to research a topic write down what you think you already know 
So like Ooh, start, yeah, that's a good one. So I'd even just like write down like, you know, like even like cancer. What do you know about it? Well, I think it's like to do DNA mutations and there's epigenetic factors. And I'm sure no doubts are kind of biology and nutrition would play roles into like a, the, the expressions of genes and obviously stress and emotional stress and just even like brain dump. And then you go investigate and it's just the way I see it is like it's like a sculptor. You take this massive block of rock and you just like chunk it away, and then it's just about refining, refining, refining. Like so, test and and then go back, and then what did I get? What did what what did I not get right? Retest. What mm-hmm. did I get right? And you just see the percentage of what you remember, recall it better and better. The S then is state in fast, so F A S T. He's like Jim Quick's like if you like, what's your environment like? Are you in your bedroom? Is it a messy room? Or are you are you hydrated and well fed and in a good clean environment? Are you in a, a work environment that helps you to focus best as possible? So your state while you learn, and obviously too, what do you associate when you're learning too? Because sometimes you know it's funny like our best memories are usually ones that had a lot of emotional attachment to them you know what i mean we can remember things very vividly if there was a lot of emotion or like the smell of a scent or a certain sound or a certain song like brings you back to a time right because you associate there's a neural association there and then the last uh, the last acronym is t teach so like he's like if you really want to master something you like teach it can you explain it to someone because mm-hmm. if you can't explain it they're like uh it's like you don't really know that information as often as possible. So a lot of what you're doing is taking those boxes in that you're active, you're taking your own notes, and then you're you're trying to take it and apply it to you, to your clients. So basically, you are teaching it. So you're doing so much of that already. Like so, you're definitely yeah, that, hitting, definitely hitting two of those letters in that fast. Nice, yeah. That uh, make it stick book is I I really use that when making my course because every module has learning objectives. And it goes through like that process throughout the book. That book was like huge. And, you know, the other things like you have to be able to recognize things and what you're doing. And, you know, I feel like my, I, I moved recently like a year ago and I don't really have my own space anymore. Cause I used to have like my own office area and that created like a huge learning environment. It's my own kind of area to go through not a lot of, you know, barriers or limitations with that. And now I don't have that. And I've, I've seen this huge kind of drop off with my ability to, to do these things and environment is just absolutely huge. And also biases, like, you know, I mentioned two people who I got that information from. So I selected those two people, especially Justin, in terms of, he speaks the same language as I, he uses terminology that I understand, you know, it's from certain school of thoughts we have in common. Um, whereas, you know, I didn't really push myself outside of a comfort zone in terms of going to Atlas or, or, or some other organization that maybe doesn't speak the same system as I. So, you know, that's something else you have to keep in mind as well. You saw, you saw my face up there when you mentioned about your office and the drop-offs as that went because you'll yeah. laugh, you'll laugh at this. Uh, like like my parents down in I I live on my own, but my parents have a house, have their own house, and they have a spare bedroom that I use as an office. And I I really find that is a really great environment for me when I really want to do some deep learning. But mm-hmm. you were just talking about but barriers there and like. The, the, the one thing that used to be and this is such like a first world like play me a small violin thing <laughs> but it just used to it used to bug me I, I used to have to bring the chair from the downstairs kitchen up the stairs into the bedroom and it was just like effort you know what I mean and I remember yeah. I, I just said to my mother one day is there any chance I could just leave the because because there was no need for the extra chair to be in the kitchen do you know what I mean I was like is there mm-hmm. any chance I could just leave that chair here with my desk 
and like she was like oh yeah sure like and i was just and i i actually remember saying this to her, i was like it just it's a less it lessens the barriers to entry and, yes, and, then, and yes. I, sw- I swear to god like it made such a difference because now i could just walk up and then the chair was just there at the desk and i could just sit down and start studying whereas you know you have to I had to like, and my desk was like a folding, so I'd have to take the desk and unfold and go down to the kitchen and grab and walk up the stairs. This really awkward chair, and it just mm-hmm. you're just all right about barriers. It's crazy, like just a small thing. It's like a domino effect. It's like, Broop. yep, absolutely. Even yeah, same thing with like nutrition or doing anything. Like if you don't pre-prepare it, like that's just one more barrier to to overcome. Bolin, this has been amazing. Yeah, there was actually times when you were just talking. I was like, I need to communicate with with this human being more. Um, final, I like that guy, yeah, yeah, fi- yeah, I like that guy. I like your style. Um, <laughs> final question for you, and um, you can take as long as you want with this, because if there's if there's lots of pauses, I'll just edit it out. But this is where <laughs> it's really funny because this either goes two ways. People like bang it out as if like, oh, you've thought about this, and other people are like, oh shit. But if I was to take you to dinner and you could bring five people. Oh gosh! Oh yeah, dead or alive, and these it can be real individuals or it can be car- like fictitious characters. Who would you bring to this dinner, and why would you bring them to this dinner? Oh goodness, goodness gracious! Um, yeah, this is going to be terrible. Uh, I would say Mary Mary Beth Cooper, who is the president of Springfield College. She's one of the most interesting human beings I have ever met, and. I respect like um, her position, how she got there and like the type of person that she is. And I think there's always something to learn from her. I would say Jordan Peterson. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. I just find him so interesting. I think he's one of those people who when he says something, he can talk for 45 minutes about why he said that and how he got to that point. Um, And he's also open for, you know discussion towards those points i've learned an immense amount of information from him um i would say probably my friend tim richard who's a physical therapist out of denver colorado Uh, he's one of the most curious human beings i've ever met and is always just prompting questions and diving deep and i enjoy being around people like that oh man so that's three right yeah three yeah (sighs) three good ones Thank you. Thank you. Um, I would probably say, oh gosh, I'm trying to think that you can probably take all of this uh, ums and ahs out, but uh, geez, if I had to pick, it's probably going to be maybe some other Man, I don't even know. I would say probably people in my personal life, just because again, I get that fulfillment of being around them and laughing and yeah. being comfortable. I think one of my negative qualities as a person is like when there's large groups of like people who I'm not used to being around, I kind of shut down a little bit. And I think the people I have in my life kind of bring this like light out of me a little bit. So I think I would probably need them around me. So I'd probably say like two of my best friends. That's great. It's a perfect answer. I remember when I asked Ben House, he was just like, my family knows it. 
Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, he's like, that's all I need. It's just my family. It's just family. And, you know, he, and he's like, yeah, all these people. Like, I don't, he's like, I have no interest in any of those other things. I want my family. So I was like, yeah, yeah, it was great. Uh, yeah, listen, Michelle, that was absolutely brilliant. I really appreciated your time. Fantastic conversation. And I, as I, whenever I ramble a lot in some in some podcasts, which is all podcasts, I, uh, I just, I really appreciate your patience with me. Um, oh, of course. For the listeners who want to know more about you, what you have to offer, where can they reach out to you, and uh, where can they contact you? So you can easily do it through Instagram. So it's at dr.michellebond. Um, and then email address, you can probably find it on Instagram, but it's mbolland at michellebolland-training.com. And you can head over to michellebolland-training.com to see all the products that I have and courses. Um, I feel like we've talked a good amount about them Um on this show, but I really tried to focus on the things that I provide people to fill in gaps that I think the industry and um, academic setting is missing. So I really try to hope and make an impact with that and help a lot of trainers yeah. in those aspects. And listen, I'd love to have you back on. And that's probably an area I'd like to dive in a bit deeper with you too, is that the holes in those certain parts of the industry. So all the way from academic to professional, and maybe again, the solutions that you would you would see fit for those for those gaps that you see. Exactly. And I think you hit it right on the head. I remember Mike Robertson on his podcast asked me some like problems that I see. And I think in some aspects, identifying the problems is useful, but it can be ineffective if you don't have or can provide solutions oh, towards yeah. them. Um, because otherwise you're just kind of like blurting things out when you're not going to really make any substantial changes in them yeah try to be a solution to the problem not another part of it exactly exactly yeah. michelle listen this is brilliant i'll say goodbye to you offline for all the listeners i'll put everything that michelle just uh spoke about in the show notes like i always do so you can just go over there and find out everything she has to offer she's an all absolute, right, thanks robbie <laughs> as we say in ireland she's an absolute legend so <laughs> really appreciate your time now for everyone else as i say at the end of every podcast take care be well and stay strong Thank you.